Come follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one with God's own This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations on the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more content, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Hey guys, welcome back. We are on episode 33 of The Savior Said. This is the assignment for August 19th through 25th, 1 Corinthians 1 through 7. Be perfectly joined together. And we have a lot of different things we're going to talk about this week. But I'm actually going to do something a little bit different this week because Paul was writing to the Corinthians and there was lots of sexual immorality and stuff going on. He talks a little bit about that in this week's selection. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have this episode in two parts. The first part is going to be just like the general come follow me stuff that we're talking about. And, you know, that's like all ages appropriate. You can totally listen to that. And then I'm going to have a second part of this episode. It's going to be a completely separately issued episode, but it's going to be all about chastity and the law of chastity specifically for parents and leaders of youth, those who want to encourage youth to, you know, in their trek in chastity. So um, there's going to be two parts of this episode, just because I know some parents may not want their kids listening to all that stuff, but they still probably want to talk about it this week because this is a really good week to bring it up with your kids. So we'll have a whole separate episode for parents and leaders and anyone else who's interested to listen to. But first, we're going to get started with the first part of Come Follow Me. But before we get started, I want to say thank you because we have just hit over 20,000 downloads, um, which is like mind-blowing to me. I mean, we just hit 10,000 like just a couple weeks ago, so um, the Savior said is blowing up like crazy, so... Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who are listening, to all of you who are sharing the podcast with your friends. Um, I hope it is blessing your lives. As the podcast does grow, you know, I'm constantly revamping it and changing it and trying to make it more user-friendly for you guys. So one of the questions that I have for my listeners is time time format. Because, you know, right now I'm hitting at about 55 minutes to an hour is usually where the episodes go. So my question to you is, do you like that time? Do you like the 55 minutes to an hour time frame? Or would you prefer it to be shorter, like maybe 35 minutes to 40 minutes? Um, Something like that. I actually have a poll open on my Facebook page. Um, You can go in and you can vote for it. And if the poll has closed, because it Facebook closes the poll after a certain amount of time. So if the poll has closed already and you're listening to this, you know, a little ways down the road, go ahead and just leave me a comment. Send me a message on Facebook. Send me an email at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. And let me know what you think about the time. Like, do we need to shorten it or what? Um, I think right now, currently, the results are that about a third of you guys out there want it to be a little bit shorter, but two-thirds of you are okay with it being the same length. So I think what I'm going to do is probably try and keep it about the same length, but there may be weeks where I just don't have as much to say, and instead of trying to fill it up or kind of fluff it out, I think we will just go for a shorter episode that week, and that'll be fine, and we'll just roll with it. So I think that's what I'm going to do, but again, if you have questions or concerns about anything I say, format, 
any any suggestions, helpful, kind, constructive suggestions, um, feel free to reach out. I am always on the Facebook. I'm always checking my email. So, you know, you can hit me up there. All right. So let's jump back into Paul and Corinthians. Enough about me and the podcast. Into Paul and Corinthians. So Paul is in Ephesus. Um, this is about two years later after he has visited Corinth. It's probably right around 53 AD um, is probably when this this is taking place. And so two years after he's been in Corinth, he's starting to get reports that, hey, some things are a little off in Corinth, that there's some divisions. People are claiming like, hey, I've been baptized by this person, so I'm better than this person. And I follow this person instead of this person. And then, you know, there's also some sexual immorality kind of stuff going on too, like all kinds of just, you know, kind of just yuck stuff going on. And so Paul's like, well, I need to address some of this yuck stuff that's going on. So he sends them some epistles. And so that's why we have 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Come follow me and its introduction says that Paul wrote the letter we now call 1st Corinthians and it's full of profound doctrine. And yet at the same time, Paul seemed disappointed that the saints were not ready to receive all the doctrine he wanted to give them. He says, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, he laments, for ye are yet carnal. As we prepare to read Paul's words, it might be helpful to examine our own readiness to receive truth, including our willingness to heed the Spirit and strive for unity within our families and with our fellow saints and with God. All right, so that's what I was thinking about all week long is unity. What is unity? How does it apply to me personally? How does it apply to me and my family, in my relationship with my husband? How does it apply to, to me at church? How does it apply with, like, my extended family? How does it apply with me and my friends? You know, like, I was just thinking about unity all week long. Like, I, that's been on my mind a lot, which is good because the first section in Come Follow Me, it says the members of Christ's church are united. We don't know all the details about the lack of unity and what was causing all these divisions in the Corinthian saints, but we do know about the lack of unity in our own relationships. And it said, think of a relationship in your life that could benefit from more unity. So I took this to my Heavenly Father and I was like, Heavenly Father, please tell me where I need to work on unity in my own life. And I was totally expecting him to say like, you need to reach out to people in your ward or, you know, you need to maybe be more unified with the people at work or something. No, he said my husband and my son. And that I need to be working on my relationship and strengthening my relationship with my husband and my son. And I'm like, okay, okay, I can work on that. Um, you know, being married, especially, we th- we just celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary this year. And being married for 10 years, after a while, it starts getting routine. Like, you know, things are just very routine. You have habits. And you, you forget to put the work and the effort into making that marriage special when things become so mundane and just kind of daily you get weighed down with stuff. So this week I was like, I really need to find a way to kind of really support my husband and make this marriage special. And so really kind of, you know, going out of our everyday routine to kind of, you know, show him that I love him and communicate with him and listen to him. And so that was kind of an extra effort I made this week. Now with my son, bless his heart, he and I, the way we think and the way our minds work are at the same time very similar and very different different. Um, he's very logical. He's very math brained. And I'm obviously very like, like out, you know, artsy, creative mind. Okay. But I also have like the analytical research side of my brain. And he also has kind of an analytical research side of his brain. And we both like to be right. Like, that is our favorite thing 
to do is to be right and to one-up the other one. And if I'm not careful, I find myself in like these little argumentative spats with him. Like, oh no, that's not how this works. Like you have to do it this way. And he's like 13 years old and thinks he knows everything about everything. And so he's like, oh no, 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 this is the way the world works. And I'm like, no, no, but the world doesn't work that way. Like this is, this is the right way. And oh no, this is how it goes. And like, we just go back and forth and back and forth to my poor husband. He's like, stop talking. Just both of you just stop talking. And so this week I have really tried to rein that in and be like, okay, maybe it does work that way. Let's talk about that. And can you tell me more? Kind of, you know, work on not fighting back and placing more of an emphasis on my relationship with him on strengthening that relationship than on being right. Sometimes I think there are more important things than being right. And that's the lesson that I'm learning in my own life. And I'm trying to put being right, you know, being the right answer or whatever, having the right answer. I'm trying to put that to the side and still, you know, while giving correct information, of course, I'm still trying to strengthen that relationship with my son. And that's kind of like a putting aside your pride kind of thing, you know, Um, because I get a lot of pride out of knowing things and being smart, right? Like that's one of my things. And so putting that pride aside and saying, hey, my relationship with you is more important than me showing off something that I know is kind of hard for me. And so that's something that I've been working on a lot with him this week. So those are just some some of the ways that I feel like the relationships in my life that could benefit from more unity. And I followed Paul and some of Paul's examples this week as I did that. So there you go. Come follow me. That is my answer. All right, continuing on, it says, Then look for what Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17 and 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 11 about lack of unity among the Corinthian saints. So here we go. So this is 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17. Now I beseech ye, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any of you should say that I baptized in my own name. And I baptize also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any others. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect. So he says he's going to be kind of preaching with the spirit, not the wisdom of words. So going back into this passage, there are some things that I kind of like about it. First of all, I want to say, which are of the house of Chloe. This is one of my favorite names, I guess, from the New Testament, because sometimes we think Paul's kind of anti-women from some of the scriptures and things that he has. But we see little examples of this where, like, he is corresponding with a woman named Chloe, and she is the, like, head of her household, and he's addressing her as the head of her household, not her father, not her husband, not her brother, like, the house of Chloe. The, the house that belongs to this woman. And so I love this proof that Paul did treat women with respect and with honor. And in fact, you know, ever since, you know, you're a little girl, you start planning like your future baby names, that kind of thing. And so Chloe was always on my short list of baby names. Like I always wanted to have a daughter and name her Chloe. 
Obviously, that's not the way that life worked out, but Chloe has always been a really important name to me because of this and because it shows Paul's respect for women. So I wanted to point that out. Also, we learned from this particular passage that Paul's really upset about the divisions because people are saying that they follow different people. Some of the people that he mentions in 12 is Paul, Apollos, and then Cephas, which is actually Peter. Okay, so Peter back in Jerusalem, and then Christ. So who are they following? Well, that's not good, right? We don't. We want to make sure that we know who we're following, and the person we're supposed to be following is Jesus Christ. And so that's what he's saying. Was I crucified for you guys? No, I was not crucified for you guys, but Christ was. And so you need to be turning and looking at him. He's like, thank goodness I didn't baptize any of you, but these guys, and I don't remember if I baptized anybody else, but I hope I didn't because y'all are just making a mess. That's kind of what he's saying there. Again, I think it's putting aside that pride and realizing that unity and relationships matter more than whatever we're being prideful about. You know, like that lesson that I learned with my son this week. So that's kind of what I see from that particular section of scripture. But now in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 11, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted... Apollos has watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his labor, for we are all laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Alright, so insights from here. One of the things I saw that was causing division among the saints was envying and strife. Okay, so again, I think that's pride entering in um, because not only were they prideful about their own situation or who had baptized them or whatever, but they were jealous of who other people had been baptized by, right? And there was strife because there was differing of opinions. And then we have him saying, you know, I've planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So he's saying, you know, it doesn't matter who taught you the gospel. It doesn't matter who your missionaries were. It doesn't matter who baptized you. What matters is that God is the one who gave you this gospel. God is the one who gave you his son, and this is his gospel. He's the one who's giving the increase. He's the one who's giving you the blessings of the gospel. And so that's what you really need to be looking at, guys, not who the person was that gave it to you. Also, I love that in 10, God is referred to as a wise master builder. That totally made me think of Legos. So if you have any little kids out there or family members that are really into Legos, you can tell them that God is the ultimate master builder, right? So (laughs) I thought that was pretty cool. 
And then, of course, there can be no other foundation can man lay than is laid by Jesus Christ, which is important, too. One thing also I want to say that I read a lot in Corinthians, and this is kind of like a total aside. We're going down like a little rabbit trail here. Paul talks a lot about the cross in his Pauline epistles, and I saw it come up multiple times this week. And in some of the commentary and things that I read, it was interesting to me because they talked about, like, you know, we talk about the cross now, and we think about the cross, and it has a sort of connotation in our mind as something holy, um, something good, because that's where salvation happened, right? So we had that kind of connotation with it. Whereas in this particular time, when Paul is talking about the cross, it was a very negative connotation because it was capital punishment. So it would be like Paul writing to the saints and saying something about Jesus Christ who was killed in the electric chair. Like it would have the same impact on those saints as like the words, the electric chair that that capital punishment has on us. So the fact that Christ was killed by crucifixion was a very humble way for him to be killed. And for Paul to keep referencing it would have kind of, you know, an interesting, I think, conflict of emotions for the early saints. Um, So I just wanted to throw that out there because I think it's an interesting historical note. So there's that. All right. Winding back up to where we were. (laughs) We're talking about unity. So it says, from these verses, what insights can you gain about how to develop greater unity with others? And one of the first things I wrote down here is that we need to learn how to disagree gracefully. And I figured this out because I went in and I looked at it. It refers you to unity in the gospel topics on churchofjesuschrist.org. And so I went and I read that. And I started thinking about, you know, some of the different, I guess, comments or, you know, conversations I sometimes hear at church, or even if you really want to see places where there's like discord and non-unity, go and look at the comments underneath like any of the LDS Living articles on Facebook or, you know, any of the church's big announcements on Facebook. You see people fighting back and forth and like from the conversation, it's not like anti-Mormon people, like these are good Latter-day Saints who are differing of opinion and they're fighting each other over it. Um, and you know, it's just, it's kind of sad to see. So that's kind of what came to my mind. First of all, when I started like reading like the description of what Paul had going on with the Corinthians, it made me think of like, well, what do we have going on in our church? And the first place that came to my mind was there on, on social media, because I think sometimes we show up on Sundays and we paste on those smiles and we greet each other and we love each other. And yeah, deep down, I think we do love each other and we want to support each other, but there is something about social media that grabs the inner nastiness inside of us and pulls it out and lets you have like an opinion of inner nastiness kind of on the internet for everyone to see. And so I see that a lot in the comment threads on social media. Like that's really where I'm seeing the contention and stuff arise, the disharmony, the disunity. I'm not saying everyone has to agree with each other. And I'm not saying everyone has to think the same way because one of the beautiful things of the gospel is that everybody's interpretation of it in their own hearts is different. The way I interpret the scriptures may be different from the way somebody else interprets the scriptures. The way I feel the Spirit may be different from the way somebody else feels the Spirit. The way I have a relationship with Jesus Christ may be different from somebody else that has a relationship with Jesus Christ. The important thing, though, is that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the way I interact with Him may be different than somebody else's, but that's okay right? We don't always have to agree on everything. Another thing I think is important when it comes to unity within the church is we don't need to point fingers at people who may have questions. 
because I think questioning is a huge part of our religion as well. You know, you want to ask questions because questions are how we find answers and it's how we grow and it's how we develop our testimonies. So all that in mind, you know, thinking about all the Facebook stuff and the opinions on Facebook and thinking about those who question and kind of feel judged sometimes for questioning, I went to Unity and the Gospel Topics and I read the like little entry there. And this is a quote, two quotes that I found in it. Okay, it says, when we live the gospel, when we receive the saving ordinances and keep our covenants, our natures are changed. The Savior's atonement sanctifies us, and we can live in unity, enjoying peace in this life, and preparing to dwell with the Father and His Son forever. Now, here's what I saw in that quote. We live the gospel, we receive saving ordinances, and we keep our covenants. Okay, those three things. As long as we're doing that, yeah, we can have differing opinions. We don't have to think the same way. We're not all cookie cutter. And in fact, if you talk to anybody who's close to the apostles, you will find out that they all have very differing opinions. And sometimes they have discussions where they disagree pretty, you know, heavily sometimes. So it's okay to have different opinions. It's okay to think different things. It's all about how do we come together and put those differing opinions aside and come together to love and support each other right? The Savior's atonement allows us to do that because it lets us put that pride aside. It sanctifies us and we can then enjoy peace in this life and prepare to dwell with our Father in heaven forever. Um, It also has another paragraph in there. It says, we can also be unified with members of the church by serving together, teaching one another, and encouraging one another. We can become one with the president of the church and the other church leaders as we study their words and follow their counsel. So again, that gives you some other ideas on how to encourage other members of your ward. Serve together, teach one another, and encourage them, right? Especially those who are questioning. I would definitely say encourage them. And not being like, oh, how can you question that? But I would say, yeah, let's talk about that. that. Or let's talk about this testimony. Let's talk about where we can go for answers. Because that's another thing I see too, is that people put out there like, hey, I'm questioning this. And they're like, well, I can't believe you're questioning that. Well, you know what? Yeah, people question different things. You know, there are some things that are bedrock in my testimony that may be really hard for somebody else. And there are things that I struggle with that may be really easy for somebody else. So, you know, we all just need to help each other out. Just lots of love, right? Lots of love. And then I love the part at the end where it talked about we can become one with the president of the church and other church leaders as we study their words and follow their counsel. One of my favorite things about my new state calling is that I get to go to all the different ward conferences and that in each one of the ward conferences, you know, they call the ward conference to session and they start asking for sustaining votes for the officers of the church, you know, all the way from the prophet down to everybody, you know, serving there even in the ward. And I love being able to raise my hand. Every month I get to raise my hand and sustain the prophet and sustain the general authorities. And I love being able to do that. And I love the unity that it makes me feel with my prophet and with the general authorities who are leading the church and that I will follow them and I will read their words and follow their counsel. And I love having that reminder of that unity. All right, one other thing I thought about this week, and this is something I was actually taught by the previous stake primary president. So I want to give a shout out to Jessica. Jessica, this is from you. I know you listen to this podcast sometimes, so I hope you listen to this one. She had this saying, and it is something I've like impressed upon my conscience because um, I actually bring it up like all the time. But she had this saying where she would say, an awkward conversation now can save an explosion later. 
Because sometimes I think we are so afraid to offend at church. We're so afraid to disagree that we just kind of stuff everything down and stuff it down. And, oh, sister so-and-so is not, you know, fulfilling her calling in the way. Like, maybe she could do this a little bit differently. Let's stuff it down, though. I don't want to offend her. Stuff it down. Stuff it down. You've got to find a good way to bring that up, though, because otherwise it can become a problem later on down the line. And Kurt Frankham, who does the Leading Saints, he does the Leading Saints podcast, which is an excellent podcast. I totally recommend it. Um, if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. He's got all kinds of really great interviews from different people. But anyways, he wrote this on his Facebook for Leading Saints. He said he was carrying items through his back door in his backyard. And this is after he's run a race. He's really tired. And he saw a huge stack of logs and branches from his neighbor's tree that had fallen into his backyard. And the pile was not made up of flimsy branches. Like these were big honking logs, like big. And he couldn't easily just throw them back over the fence. Like these were just big logs and they were thick tree limbs that it would take a chainsaw to clean up. He says, this neighbor who lives behind me, I've never met him. And I guess he just decided to trim back a 50 foot tree that was out of control and interfering with power lines. It kind of dumped into my yard. And he said, as I looked at the unruly pile, I of course had a typical human response. Is this guy not going to get over here and clean up this mess? Like he didn't tell me he was going to cut down limbs that would clutter up my backyard. This is ridiculous. As I continued to walk past the pile again and again, my emotions went in different directions. Okay, this isn't a big deal. I'll just see if there's someone in my ward with a chainsaw. I'll clean it up myself. Then ten minutes later, no way, this isn't going to fly. This neighbor needs to come over here and clean up his mess so I can mow my lawn. I'm going to go find his phone number and send him a text. I even texted this neighbor's next door neighbor who is in my bishopric to see if I could figure out who those neighbors were. Finally, I realized what I was doing. I was doing the same thing that many individuals do in leadership. We avoid a simple conversation that needs to happen. I simply walked over to this neighbor's house. I knocked on his door and we had a respectful conversation. So many times in our various roles, we have individuals who come and dump their consequences on our lawn. We react as if they have wounded us. How dare you act in this disrespectful way? You just expect me to clean up your mess, don't you? So many assumptions and judgments can be made that strain the future of that relationship. 80% of the problems you face as a leader can be fixed with effective communication. And effective conversation does not include hiding behind a text or an email. It doesn't include passive-aggressive actions. It does include a face-to-face -face verbal conversation full of love and curiosity to understand the other person's point of view. So later this evening, I'm going to walk over to my neighbor's house, knock on his door and say, there's a pile of your tree limbs on my back lawn. How can I help? Now the question for you is, what conversation in your life needs to happen that you are avoiding? I love that so much. Thank you, Kurt Frankham, because that is the perfect way to explain kind of what I was thinking. You know, in primary, there are times where there are issues that need to be addressed, like there just are. And I will tell you, I'm not the perfect person at this, but I have seen time and time again that when I do have those awkward conversations, first of all, they're never as awkward as I think they're going to be. And when I approach it full of love and care for the person that I'm talking to, then it, they go a whole lot smoother than I thought they would. And it does, those little tiny awkward moments save big giant explosions that would happen on down the line. So 
that is my counsel for unity in our church. First of all, to be able to disagree with each other respectfully, and then also to have those awkward conversations that are going to save big explosions later on, but to have them with respect and to have them with love. And that is the key to having awkward conversations, to have respect for the other person and with love and being willing to help them out with whatever it is that you are discussing with them. Also, one more thing that, sorry guys, I have been thinking so much about unity. I have all these thoughts that I'm sharing with you. One more thing that I see a lot is I see us weaponizing our standards. Okay, there was another article. I couldn't find it. I would have shared it with you if I could. But it talked about a woman who, she said she weaponized her standards. She was talking to a coworker and she was going off on, on about people who drink alcohol and they're, you know, not smart. And why would anyone do that? And that's such a bad idea. And the coworker was like, well, I drink alcohol. And she realized that she had weaponized her standards. So we need to be really careful when we're at church and be like, oh, well, that skirt she's wearing is much too short. Is she wearing her garments? I don't know if she could wear her garments with that, that skirt. That's not where our head needs to be at. It's very natural for us to go there, though, because I find my own mind doing that. Like, really? She's wearing that shirt, skirt that short? Like, yeah, I do it too, guys. So that is something I need to wrap my head around, you know? And again, I know judginess is like my issue. So it's very easy for me to take the standards and be like, oh, she's not following that standard. So that's something I have to overcome. Maybe she is following that standard. Maybe I just don't know it. Maybe there's another way that she's following it. Do you know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if she's following the standards or not. You know why? Because all that matters to me is if I'm following the standards. All that matters to me is the length of my own skirt. All that matters is whatever I'm doing in my own behavior. It doesn't matter what she's doing, right? I don't get to judge that. I get to judge me. And so that's something else I've learned is I don't need to weaponize my standards to hurt somebody else just because it's something I believe. So there's that too. Okay, that's unity. (laughs) We're done. The end to unity. We're good. We're good. We're moving on to the next particular section and come follow me that to accomplish God's work I need the wisdom of God and come follow me says while it's good and even encouraged to seek wisdom wherever we can find it Paul gave some strongly worded warnings about flawed human wisdom which he called wisdom of this world as you read 1 Corinthians 1 17 through 25 ponder what this phrase might mean what do you think Paul meant by wisdom of God all right so here's the scriptures we're going to read together all right, 1 Corinthians 1, 17-25. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent." Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made the foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, which is unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, the things that I love about this 
is it talks about, you know, the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of words. And it's something that I've come across, I think, in Come Follow Me and my research and stuff that I've done for Come Follow Me. Because, you know, I look outside of just the regular Latter-day Saint world of commentary and things like that. I'll look into the non-denominational commentary. I look into, you know, there's a Lutheran podcast I listen to. Um, and so I listen to the way that they reason things out and reason out the different words in the New Testament. And it's something that I've had to do over and over again and say, you know what? That doesn't sound like God. That doesn't sound like something I believe and have to kind of like chuck, you know, their wisdom of the world or whatever it is, kind of chuck it to the side. And yeah, whatever they're saying may make sense or it may sound, you know, like, okay, well, that could mean that in that scripture, but I know that's not what it meant. And so I have to be very, very careful when I'm using that non-Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints commentary. That's one of the ways that I kind of thought of, or one of the things I kind of thought of when I was reading these scriptures. Um, Another thing is I really love verse 25 where it says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And I love this because God is not foolish, and he is not weak. He is neither of those things. But to the Jews, they would see this Christ crucified. You know, again, we talked about the connotation that crucifixion has in that culture. They would see that as something really shameful and weak. But God is not weak. But when Christ came down and was crucified for us, that could seem very weak to the Jewish culture, right? And the flip side of that is... If he really was a god to the Greeks, they're probably thinking this. The flip side of that is the Greek viewpoint. Whereas if Christ really was a god, how could he let himself be crucified? You know, again, we're in the age of Greek mythology. We've got all kinds of different temples up everywhere to like all the different Greek gods and goddesses. But, you know, we've got all these amazing gods and goddesses, but your god comes down and he dies? Like, how is this possible? That seems foolish to me. So in their eyes, this is the foolishness of God. The crucifixion of Christ is greater, though, than anything that they could dream up, anything the Greeks could dream up, anything the Jews could dream up. The crucifixion of Christ is greater than all that because it saves us all. And it saves us all in our foolishness, and it saves us all in our weakness. So the foolishness of God and the weakness of God is definitely stronger than men. It says, why do we need God's wisdom to accomplish God's work? In your efforts to fulfill your responsibilities in accomplishing God's work, have you ever experienced the fear and much trembling that Paul felt when he taught the Corinthian saints? What do you find that gives you courage? You guys know this about me. Social anxiety is real, and I have some serious social anxiety. What does not scare me is getting up in front of crowds or getting up in sacrament meeting and talking to, like, the crowds. Um, I can public speak all day long. Like, I do not mind public speaking. I'm kind of a ham. I love the spotlight. It's, like, my favorite place to be. However, having one-to-one conversations, I find incredibly exhausting. So those awkward conversations that save an explosion down the line, like that I was talking about a couple minutes ago are incredibly scary to me. And so with the fear and much trembling, whenever I know I have to have one of those confrontational conversations, oh my gosh, I put it off. I put it off like I do because it is awful and I don't want to do it. So it was with that in mind that I went and I read here, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Come follow me says, what do you find in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 that gives you courage? And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ, and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power." 
that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So what helps me with my fear of having like those awkward conversations or having conflict? You know, what helps me with my fear and trembling when I have to do that? Well, one of the things that I noticed here is that Paul determined not to talk about anything with them except for Jesus Christ. He wants to talk with the Spirit. He wants to talk about Christ. So when I go in to have those awkward conversations or I go in to have that conflict, um, to do it with the Spirit of Christ. And I know having a conflict with the Spirit of Christ sounds totally like the antithesis to everything Christ, you know, stood for. But if you look back to the way that he talked, he had conflicts all the time. But his conflict brought about good. And so taking that with and following Christ's example and taking an awkward situation and bringing something good out of it by having the spirit with you, the spirit of power and having love for that person and not trying to use man's wisdom or be really smart, but instead have faith in the power of God to kind of help that conversation through. That's kind of what I got from that. Okay. So that was the first part of this week's episode. Go ahead and hang tight if you want to hear the second part, or if you want to go ahead and skip out, now is the time to do it. Thanks for listening, and have a good week. Bye, y'all.